You know, I stand up here to talk. I'm just always so keenly aware that without the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, what I say to you will just be words and will not accomplish anything. So I'm, I always walk up here with a, with a prayer, um, a cry of my heart that through faith that the unseen but yet almighty power of the Holy Spirit will be at work in, uh, in our teaching this morning. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul said the kingdom of God does not consist in words but in power. And certainly words are a part of it, but, but uh, they need, need to have power. So let's, let us all look, uh, look to the Holy Spirit to, uh, to teach, reveal himself, to work in our lives with, with great, great power and effectiveness this morning. Well, the pa- this passage is the grand finale to the book of Galatians. It's the grand finale to the message of grace that Paul proclaimed throughout this whole book. It's the exclamation mark on this little book of little but powerful book of Galatians. It's it's a passionate plea by Paul for these people and for you here today to to guard against any message that compromises the gospel of grace. Uh, the complete package of salvation comes to us through the cross of Christ. And it, it cannot be achieved, but can only be received as a pure gift. The true gospel message is that Christ died for your sins. And his death is all that is needed to save you and to free you from your sins and to make you right with God. His death was more than enough to cover all of your sins, your big sins and your little sins, uh, your sins that other people know about and the ones that nobody knows about but you, the sins that you're keenly aware of and the ones that you're not aware of at all. He became a curse for you so that you would not be cursed for any of your sins. Simply by faith, placing your faith in Christ, you are justified. That's what the book of Galatians teaches. God declares you innocent, not guilty, and positively righteous. His death for you on the cross is sufficient to give you immediate access to God and complete acceptance with God. God's arms are open wide to you now this morning and forever because of what Christ did for you. Christ completely canceled the debt of your sins so that you can be welcomed as the very friend of God. And what Christ has done for you is so complete, it's so perfect that there is not one thing that you could add to it to make it any more perfect. As we've said a number of times, the gospel comes fully loaded. You don't need to buy any other options to enhance it or complete it. The work of Christ is sufficient, perfect. It completely satisfies the demands of a holy God. And the gospel is is not only that we receive a complete and total pardon for our sins, but that we receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the Holy Spirit is such a prominent message in this book of 
of Galatians, the cross so completely broke the barrier of sin between you and God that God himself can come to live in you by his spirit. Galatians 3.14, Christ redeemed us on the cross. Christ redeemed us so that we might receive the promise of the spirit. In a sense, that's the goal of the gospel. And Galatians 4, 6, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The Holy Spirit in you is part of the gospel. And the true gospel is that we receive all of this as a pure gift through faith alone. Uh, This salvation is not gained by your works or, or keeping the law of Moses or any laws or religious works. Galatians 3.11, it is so obvious that no one is justified in the sight of God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. So we, we receive the riches of God, the acceptance of God, the righteousness of God, not by working for them, but by receiving them as a gift. And Paul, Paul asked the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit? By doing the works of the law or by believing the message about Jesus? Of course, the answer was it was by believing the message. We receive Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit by believing and receiving. We live now as as Christians. we, We live daily by believing and receiving by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith is our as our our lifeline. It's our means of of receiving. It's the empty hand by which we continually receive just the outpouring of God's benefits. But there is a constant threat to this gospel that I just described. And that threat is any other gospel that adds works, your works, or other kinds of works to the work of Christ as a means of winning your salvation and acceptance with God. So Paul starts off the book of Galatians with this ominous warning. Even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we have proclaimed to you, let that person be condemned or cursed. Paul says, even if I myself come with a different gospel or even an angel, let that person be condemned. So here's here's a very serious warning from the book of Galatians for you. Don't let anybody pull you away from the pure gospel of Christ, from the pure gospel of grace in Christ that Paul taught. But there always have been and there always will be and there are those today who distort the gospel and add to the gospel. They will say, you need Christ, but you also need to add something that will enhance your Christian experience or make you somehow com- a complete Christian. And just like in Paul's day, the things they add are often something from the law of Moses or some other external rule of life. And many well-meaning and sincere Christians get deceived. And that was what was happening to these believers in the churches of Galatia. And Paul said, I am, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. You were called by the grace of Christ. But I'm astonished that you would so quickly desert 
the one who called you by the grace of Christ and instead are following a different gospel. But Paul understood why that was happening. And so he goes on to say in that same verse, obviously certain people are troubling you and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. He knew why they were being pulled away. He knew, he knew why they were following a different gospel because people, different teachers, people, men had come in and infiltrated their midst and were troubling them about their faith in Christ and convincing them that, that, that they needed something else. Now, at the time this letter was written, the issue was the Old, old Covenant rite of circumcision, which God gave to Abraham. And teachers, but teachers came into the, te- into the churches uh, at Galatians and said, hey, you guys need to go get circumcised and you need to keep uh, some other things from the law of Moses. Well, Paul saw this as a, as a threat, a dangerous threat, a deadly threat to the gospel because it undermined the complete sufficiency of the work of Christ. It communicated that something needed to be added to Christ to enhance or complete your salvation. And this was a, it was a subtle and clever temptation to place a part of your trust in circumcision or in other things from the law of Moses instead of complete trust in Christ alone. And that particular particular temptation towards circumcision or something else from the law of Moses may not pull at you at all. But the devil will dangle something in front of you to divert you from or to seek to divert you from complete, total and happy, satisfied trust in Christ alone. He seeks to make you dissatisfied with the fantastic news the good news of the gospel. He seeks to make you dissatisfied with this new and living way that Christ opened up for you to God. All right, that's just the introduction. <laughs> Let's go to our passage at the end of the book of Galatians and, and start with our passage. Verse 11 of chapter 6 says, Look at how large these letters are. I am writing them with my own hand. Paul usually dictated his letters to someone who was a good writer and would write out these, the, the letters to him. But in this case, either some people think for the whole book, but certainly at least for this last message, this last, this last part of the book, Paul wrote them out with his own hand. And he wrote them in big letters. I believe he did that just for emphasis. He's writing this himself in big letters to say, hey, guys, you need to get this. This is really important. So he wants to make a lasting, powerful impression on these believers to not get pulled away from the simple and pure devotion to Christ and appreciation and valuing of Christ and seeing how complete and sufficient and perfect the work of Christ was for them. So I see this last book or last part of this book of Galatians as a very emotional and personal appeal. Paul is pouring out his heart to them. He's pleading with them. 
because he loves them and he doesn't want them to get deceived or to be pulled away from this message of the grace of Christ. Well, what is this final uh, argument to keep them from falling uh, for this very subtle but dangerous error? Well, first he exposes the real motives of these teachers. In verse 12, these people want, who want to impress others by their external appearance are trying to force or compel you to be circumcised simply to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. So these teachers that, that came into these churches, uh, they had... Uh, they, they, were, they were pushing for the, the Jewish law, or at least parts of the Jewish law, to be imposed on these believers. And they had two motives. First, they want to impress others. The ES, ESV says it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to make a good external show about something. And when, 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 when teachers come... When teachers want you to add something to the pure gospel message, the, the motive is usually to just to boost your own spiritual impressiveness, to give you something additional to feel good about, to give you a badge of achievement, so to speak. And if they can get you to follow their particular recipe, so to speak, their particular spiritual recipe, if they can get you to wear their spiritual badge, so to speak, then, then they can boast about you. They can boast that you're following them, and they can f- boast about the number of their followers. Pride is always somewhere in the mix among these false teachers. And Paul says, secondly, their second motivation is to avoid persecution, they force you to, com- uh, to, uh, to be circumcised. To, or they compel you to be circumcised simply to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. At this time, when Paul wrote this letter of Galatians, most of the persecution for believers came from the Jews who were living under the law of Moses. And they were, they were enraged that anyone could think that a person could be right with God without keeping the whole Jewish law. They saw the message of salvation through Christ as a threat to their entire way of life. And that's why they tried to kill Paul, and that's why they persecuted Christians. The the other place that persecution came from was from from the believing Jews who, who... claim to believe in Christ, but yet also staunchly believe that Gentiles must keep the law of Moses. So these teachers that came into the churches at Galatia, um, and I don't know how they came in. I I sometimes wonder how they they came in if they just showed up and, and hung up outside the church and started talking to cornered people after the church service and started talking to them or or maybe some of them got up in the church. Churches, church services back then were probably were probably very open, and different people could get up and speak. And but anyway, somehow they they infiltrated um, these churches. They came among these believers, and these teachers said, "Hey guys, if you will keep at least some of the law, if you'll go get circumcised, if you'll keep 
the Jewish Sabbath and festivals and new moons or observe certain days and months and years and seasons, then we will avoid being persecuted. If, if, we can, if, if we can just make a little change to our message, if we can just make Christianity Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus the law of Moses, then it won't be so offensive to our persecutors and our lives will be in less danger. So there was a motivation of safety. It was motivated by, by a love of peace and safety more than a love of the pure good news of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he exposes the fallacy of their teaching. And he's done this throughout the book, but he comes back to it. Paul says in the next verse, why not even those who are circumcised obey the law? I testify that anyone who allows himself to be circumcised is obligated to obey the entire law. So Paul said, you know, again, we looked at this earlier, but it's still, it's still important. It's a very important concept. If you, if you insist on keeping one part of the law, you're obligated to keep it all. But nobody's ever done that except Jesus Christ. So Paul said, don't be fooled. Not even those who are circumcised, not even these teachers who are so bent on being circumcised and uh, keeping different aspects of, of the law of Moses. Don't be fooled. They're not even law keepers. I mean, he, he was just making clear that being circumcised or following a handful of Jewish observances is not keeping the law of God. You have to keep it all. You have to keep every single command and custom and ritual and observance. And if you fail keeping one thing, You've totally failed. And that's why Paul said, no one can be justified by the works of the law. In verse 13, Paul, Paul comes back again to their motive. And he, want, he wants the churches to, to understand that these guys don't have right motives. He said, again, they simply want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your external appearance. Again, people fall for a different gospel because there's something in it that makes them feel that they have something special or that they're accomplishing something special. They feel that it enhances their spirituality or it elevates them above others and gives them something to boast about in themselves. That they're, that they're keeping or doing certain things that other Christians are not. And, that, and, and they allow that to fuel their spiritual pride. But Paul cuts the legs out from underneath this kind of thinking. And he says, but may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. True Christianity, true spirituality is placing your entire confidence 100% in the cross of Christ and only in the cross of Christ and everything that Christ bought for you, bought and paid for you at the cross. So every blessing, and, and I mean, we, we say this, but I'm, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure always how much it sinks in, but every blessing God has for you comes because of the cross and what God did for you there. Christ did all that was needed on the cross to save you 
completely and to make you right with God, absolutely. In the book of Colossians, it says, uh, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Everything that you need all flows out of what Christ did for you on the cross. Christ freed you from your sins on the cross. He freed you from your bondage to sinning. He released you. He set you free. You receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in in you because Christ redeemed you for that purpose at the cross. Satan was defeated at the cross. And it is not an overstatement to say all the problems of the entire universe were dealt with at the cross. And that's exactly what Paul says also in Colossians 1. Through Christ... God has reconciled all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't, I don't know how we can even begin to get our minds around that. But it's, the, the point is that everything that needs to be solved in heaven and on earth was solved at the cross. And if that's true, it certainly solved you and solved your life and your issues. No wonder Paul says, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what you boast about or glory in, it's it's what you get excited about, it's what you emphasize, it's what you talk about. And it's always true that when people find some new teaching that adds on to the work of the cross, then whatever is added is what they talk about. And the cross fades back into the distance. But Paul said, if we see all that happened to us and for us in the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we will rejoice in that alone. And we will rejoice in that forever and always. So, this statement of Paul is something that you and I should adopt. It's it's something that should become our theme song. It's something that should be your philosophy of life. It should be your way of life. It should be your basic attitude about life. May I never boast in anything except in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that will make all the difference in the world to you. If you become a person who rejoices and boasts in Christ and all he did for you in the cross, all he freed you from in the cross, it will make you a a happy person. It will make you a rejoicing, satisfied person. If you keep your eyes on your sin, your failure, your weakness, it will keep you discouraged and depressed. But if you exalt, if you rejoice, if you boast, if you talk about, if you focus on, if you emphasize all the riches and the blessings that, have, that are yours and that continue to flow to you because of the cross, it will change your life. You will feel that you are a greatly blessed and a happy person. And then... 
Paul adds, after he said, I won't boast about anything except the cross of Jesus Christ, he adds, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If you have placed your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, then the Bible tells us that you have been crucified with Christ or you you have died with Christ to the world and have been raised up out of the world system and into a different realm of living. You are... Uh, you, you, you died to the world, you crucified to the world, but then you were raised up in new life into the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit. And you're still in the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. That's what Jesus told us. So you are spiritually dead, crucified. You're spiritually dead to the world system and philosophy and ways of doing things. Uh, death separates you from life. So this verse means that you have been separated from the world and the world separated from you. It, it's, kind of, it's kind of like saying you are done with the world and the world is done with you. Um, Luther saw it as that you despise the world and the world despises you. And I, I, I think it's very much the essence of this. He said... This means that I detest the doctrine, the self-righteousness, and the works of the world, and the world, in turn, detests me and my doctrine and condemns me as a revolutionary heretic. Paul considered these teachers who wanted to enforce the old Jewish law as part of the world system that opposed the true gospel. It, this may, may be a, l- a little bit dif- difficult to comprehend because he's talk- they're talking about things that are from the law, keeping the law. But the world seeks righteousness in externals. And Paul saw these teachers who wanted to impose merely externals on these believers who had been raised up into a brand new, whole, whole new, completely new kind of spiritual life in the spirit as new creations in Christ, Paul saw these teachers who wanted to impose the external outward laws back on them. He saw that as a part of the world world system. And now that Christ had, has opened up a new and living way to God and satisfied the demands of the law for us to go to go back and live under some kind of system of of, of satisfying the demands of the law is, is to really go back and live under a system of working for our salvation and actually to be in bondage to the world system. And I, I think that's what he says in Galatians 4.3. Paul said that when we were children under the law, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But God sent his son to redeem us from under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 15, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. Rather, what matters is being a new creation. So this this external law, these external works that were being imposed on the believers in these churches, um, Paul says it's it's a non-issue. This emphasis on, on being circumcised or not, 
is a, is a deadly diversion from what really matters. And there, there are so many issues like that. There are so many issues and practices that really don't matter to God, whether you do or you don't. Because all that really matters is living as a new creation. All that really matters is living as a new person in Christ, born of God's Spirit. To be a new creation, Paul says, is what really matters. And the amazing thing is that as, as people born of the Spirit, as new creations, people born of God, walking in the Spirit, we become people who please God and we become people who do things that fulfill the righteous requirement of God. What, what the law could not do, the law could not change us. What the law could not do, Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, God did. Christ died and sent his spirit into our hearts so that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in those who walk according to the spirit. So we don't become lawless, rebellious, ungodly people because of this grace. (laughs) But the spirit, apart from the law, expressing his fruit in our lives, makes us people who please God and fulfill the righteous requirement of God. And it's all boiled down in Galatians to one word. What is that one word? Love. Love fulfills all that God requires of you. And we get that love because it's poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so that's how we live. We live as totally free people, free from, free from the law, free from the bondage of the law. But we walk in the Spirit. And through the Spirit, we're able, able by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, to do those things. He equips us in every good thing, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. What an amazing truth this is and what a a free uh, and happy way to live this is. So the one message uh, that we want you to hear over and over here at Real Life Church is the message about new life that comes to us in Jesus Christ and for you to know and enjoy and walk in that new life. For you to know Christ and for you to know his power and his grace and his love and to be satisfied with him and to boast in him alone. We want you to, to understand everything that, it, that is involved with you being a new creation and living out your life as a new creation, not just giving lip service to these terms as though they were like words without power or words without meaning. We want you to walk out your life in your homes, in your, in your business, in your work, uh, among your Christian friends and your family as a new creation born of God. And, and everything, everything else... When you get really focused on being a new creation, when you get really focused on what Christ has done for you at the the cross, when you get really focused on walking in the Spirit, everything else that you need to do will just flow out of that. Verse 16, And for all who live by this rule 
Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul here, I believe, is pronouncing a blessing. Well, I don't just believe it. He is. He is pronouncing a blessing of peace and mercy upon all who genuinely believe in Christ, Jew or Gentile. The true Israel of God. And he's, I think it's a, a, he's very subtly saying there, there's, there's, there is that Israel that, that is not turning to Christ, that isn't the true Israel of God. But um, the true Israel of God are those who, those who believe in Jesus Christ. Peace and mercy be upon not those. It's interesting this 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 word rule. It's like it is like rules, or it's like a, a, a canon. Um, it's it's like a set of rules or or laws. Um, so peace and mercy be upon those upon not those who live by external rules, but by those who live by this rule the rule of faith in the cross of Christ, the rule of a new creation, by the rule of a new life planted within them by the Spirit of God. So here's good news for you. If, if you are a new creation, if you're, if you're living by faith in Christ, God's peace and mercy is always upon you everywhere you go for the rest of your life. That's a blessing that's yours. Verse 17, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. We don't know what these are for sure, but Paul had permanent scars on his body that came from, came directly from preaching Christ in such a way that he was physically beaten by his persecutors. These false teachers, they did not have any scars on their bodies uh, because they had they had changed their message enough that it removed all the offense. They tweaked the message to avoid having scars on their body. But Paul says, "My scars vindicate my message, so so stop stop troubling me." And just as Jesus's body was marred and scarred, Paul said, "So is my body. I've been treated like Jesus." Because I am preaching the true message of Jesus. And then verse, verse 18 is the final sentence of this final message from the book of Galatians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This letter began with Paul's concern about them understanding grace and and really his concern that they were departing from the message of grace. This letter began with Paul's concern that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And at the end of the book, Paul's focus is still on the grace of Christ. And I've shared it before, but I... From, from Luther, but uh, I appreciate it so much, and I'll say it again. Paul does not say the law or the laws be with you. The law cannot love you. The law did not die for you. 
You need a person to be with you. You need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need it deep down in your spirit. You need the grace of Jesus in your spirit. Grace is the very heart of Christ. Grace is a one-word description of Christ. In fact, when Paul's describing Christ come into the world, he said, but when the grace of God appeared, and the grace of God appearing and Christ appearing, it's like, it's like one and the same thing. Grace is, is certainly uh, favor that you don't deserve. It's often des- defined as unmerited favor. It certainly is that, but it is, it is so much more than that. Grace is a never-ending fountain of riches that Christ has for you. Grace is the foundation of your life. It is a a never-ending fountain. It is the generosity of Christ who gave himself for you and continues to give himself to you by his very own presence in the Holy Spirit. So the, the last statement of this of this book is it's a prayer. It's, it's a desire that you would experience the grace of Jesus Christ in your spirit, that you would know the magnificent abounding generosity of Christ that you would experience in your heart, in your spirit, in your spirit, the lavish gift of his presence to you. And so I want to conclude by, by asking you that. Do you, do you know this grace in your spirit? Do you know him in your spirit? Do you know the grace of Christ in your spirit? In your innermost being, are you, are you blessed and nourished by the grace of Christ? That's, I believe, is exactly what Paul is, is, is blessing these people with. May, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So again, I say in your innermost being, are you blessed and nourished by the grace of Christ? Today, today, right here this morning, and, and every morning, not just in this morning, but today, right here this morning, you, you may receive the grace of Christ in your spirit. And if your spirit is, if your spirit is troubled, um, if you're still trying to climb up a ladder to God, if, you, if your spirit is not free and happy in the Lord, uh, then this blessing at the end of this book is just for you. You need to be refreshed by his grace this morning. A, a verse that in Hebrews thirteen nine that reminds me very much of this verse says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. In other words, don't turn to anything else. Don't turn to something else other than grace to build up your heart. Let your heart, let your spirit now and always be fed and fueled by the unfathomable grace of Jesus Christ. And what, a, what an incredible blessing this is for, for your spirit, for our spirits. Jesus Christ is to you uh, a never-ending fountain of grace. 
So just receive that this morning. Receive that into your heart, into your spirit. And if you know Christ in this way, I mean, if, if you're in your spirit, um, in your innermost being, you're living life with, with this sense of being fed and fueled by the bountiful, generous, unfathomable grace of Christ. If you're living your life that way in your spirit, that will safeguard you from turning away to any kind of error and the kinds of errors that Paul talked about in this book. It will safeguard you from turning away or turning back to the law or external works to build up your spirituality. And I I really believe that often people turn away to other teachings, to to strange teachings, to to, people turn to legalism when something is lacking in their spirit, when, when this experience of the grace of Christ is lacking in their spirit. And so, be happy in Christ. Be satisfied in Christ. Let, let His grace bless your spirit. Live in that experience. Brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray.